So listen, it's a, it's a good morning. We're glad that you guys have come out. Uh, the Lord is with us, no doubt, this morning. I sense His presence, as I know you do. I've got a couple of announcements. You know, as you, as you just heard in the announcement video, we've got small groups that are launching the last uh, week of, of August here, August the 20, 29th. And we've got a few less small groups than usual for various reasons. So if anybody is even remotely interested in leading a small group, I'd love to, uh, to hear from you about that. You can let me know and we can discuss that process. But if you're not signed up, just go to our website, cityofhopechurch.org. You can click the small groups tab and sign up there and we'll get some more information to you over the next few weeks. Secondly, big announcement that I have for you is, uh, so we received an offering uh, for our Wake and Hope campaign. If you're new, we're, we're planning on doing some renovations to our building, among other things, and we're just trying to get kick-started in that direction. We've got to do a roof and some painting and some renovations in the building just to keep it uh, functioning and running over there, among other things, and beautified a little bit. But we received that offering, one-time offering. And listen, during, that, during the process, like last week, I got, some, I got some letters in the mail, like people from Hazard and different places that don't even go to church here that said they watch every week that sent us a check in the mail, which is pretty awesome, amen? So, so we, we, we had a goal and we set the bar a little bit high. But I got to be honest with you, what we received exceeded my expectations, even though we didn't, in theory, reach our goal, so to speak. And I'm very happy with it, but we're going to go ahead and put that, put that up on what we, what, we, what we received. That was 60,000, 60,975. So, yeah, we just thank, thank everyone for being so generous. And uh, listen, we're going to put that to good use. What that's going to do, honestly, we, like I told you, this, this old building over here has got to have a roof, folks. I mean, I have patched, me and, me and Sheb have patched. We patched some this week, praise God. I mean, we, like, and, and so, and, and you know, Sheb told me, he said, you know I'm 73, don't you? So, so we got to get that thing fixed. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, so it, it was hot, but we pulled through. We did a lot of work this week, and, uh, and, but we're going to get that roof fixed. And the roof is $60,000 itself. So this money is going to at least cover all of that so we can, so we can move forward with a lot of other things as well. So, so praise the Lord for that. Thank God for that. Amen. So we are in a sermon series uh, called Against the Grain, and there's certain messages that sometimes I get a little bit nervous about, so we're going to pray for me this morning and that the Lord would uh, use it, because this, this message, uh, I'm going to call it this morning, The Duty of Disobedience. That sounds just a little bit sketchy right out of the gate, I know. But we're going to dive into it because, because we know and we are uniquely aware of the pressures that we're facing in our world today. I think anybody is aware of that. Like you don't have to tell anybody, hey, have you noticed how weird it is in the world right now? You don't have to tell anybody that, do you? Everybody feels that pressure. We feel that pressure this morning just coming in here. There's a, there's a pressure now that's, that's, that's coming upon the earth. And, and I know that people will say, well, you know, this is just COVID. This is just a season. And everybody loves the phrase, this too shall pass. And, and you know what? I, I imagine and I hope and, and pray to God that it does. But when you look at the biblical reality, and here's what I want to say, because this message that I'm about to preach could be somewhat depressing for most, because a lot of times people don't like to hear about end days, last days type of information from Scripture. But you have to understand that there is so much of it in Scripture because God is preparing His people always for hard times and suffering that is to come, but that ultimately He is going to return and that we're to be ready for that. Amen. 
And so when we look at the things that are going on in the world, he says, those are not to, to take you by surprise. You are children of the light. You are children of the day. And he says that darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but the glory of the Lord shall arise over you and his light shall shine upon you. That means that we have a calling in the midst of darkness. We have the, the Lord himself that says, I'm going to shine upon you in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain and confusion and fear. When fear is controlling and dominating the world, you're going to have the peace that comes only from God and the boldness to speak the truth in its midst and point people to the fact that this is not ultimately the end. The end is when Jesus Christ returns and comes back. And so we have to carry that message to a people that are living in absolute fear and ready to submit to anything out of that fear. So this morning I'm going to speak about government. I'm going to speak about where government is headed. I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist, but I'll tell you sometimes I think that the way that people put their trust in everything that is said and put their trust in a government seems like it's more dangerous than some of the conspiracy theories that I hear. Amen. Two just got up and walked out right then. <laughs> No one enjoys talking about it, but let me tell you this. The true church follows, the Christ, follows Jesus Christ and not the government. If you, here's, here's one thing that I found in just talking to people in general. Is that most people, even in the church today, they're, they're one, they're very biblically ignorant. And I'm not saying that to be rude. They just don't know what the Bible says. But secondly, they don't know much about history at all. They don't know about American history. They don't know about history of governments before America. And they don't know about church history, what the church has actually been through. Because when you start to begin to talk about the end times, people will even argue and say, well, you know, God wouldn't put his people through that. And I would beg the differ. God's people have been and are currently going through some strenuous times, folks. And we don't know what could come upon the face of the earth. And what we cannot do is be taken by surprise when things outwardly do get worse. But I want you to understand that if things outwardly do get worse and as they do progressively get worse, God has promised us that he would never leave us nor forsake us. He promised us that we would come before rulers and before magistrates. And in that hour, we could not even premeditate what to say or, or to speak because in that moment, it would be our father who speaks through us. He has given us the Spirit of God. He has given us a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. And there are people, you know, I've told you the story about how there are people in China right now that are being imprisoned for their faith, and they're praying that persecution would come to America. And you think to yourself, why would you pray that persecution would come to America? And they say because you've never been closer to Christ than when you're persecuted for your faith. Now, in America, i got to be honest with you, we're blessed, aren't we? Even right now with all the crazy stuff that's going on, we're not really suffering any serious persecution at all. Like worst case scenario, what you're dealing with is somebody at your college don't like you very much. Oh. Or, you know, somebody, somebody just doesn't like the fact that you're a Christian or they, they're an atheist and they mock you or something like that. That's not persecution, folks. That's just people having a disagreeing opinion with you. But here's what, we, here's what we want to do. And I want to move through this very slowly so that I don't say anything too crazy. But here's what we have to understand is that right now, if you look at our world and you look and you have a biblical worldview, you see that government and the spirit of this age is working in a very particular direction. The good news is, is that the Bible tells us exactly where it's headed. 
We can know where it's going and we can understand how to resist it and how to go against the grain in, those t- in these times. And so the true church ultimately follows Christ and not the government. I was listening, uh, John MacArthur had written something the other day and he was talking about how president, the president, our current president, had said that the greatest threat to America right now is systemic racism and global warming. John MacArthur said in response to that, in reality, the greatest threat to this nation is the government. thought that was an interesting statement. He's a pastor over in Los Angeles. So I want to read you a verse that people, several verses that people are using. And then at the end of this sermon, here in about an hour and a half, <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to give you some historical quotes on how this Series of, the, the series of verses here has historically been used for some pretty terrible things. But Romans 13, 1 through 4, let's read it. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Amen. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Can we pray together real quick? Father, we just thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for your presence and for your Holy Spirit. And God, I know that unless you use the words, Lord, that are coming from my mouth, that they'll have no power, that they'll have no weight. So we're just asking, Holy Spirit, that you would come. And just as we prayed, God, I pray that this morning you would alleviate every fear, all anxiety, all depression. Because Christians, Lord Jesus, should have the most joy and the most peace of everyone because we know that at the end of the day, in the very worst case scenario, we meet you and live eternally with you in an eternal kingdom that is established in righteousness. And so, Father, root our hearts in faith that is found in you, Lord Jesus, and use your word so that we can hear what you're speaking to us in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. So you notice these scriptures and people have quoted these at me. People have honestly quoted these against me here recently. And and I'm fine with that. I like to be challenged because when I have people that challenge me, you know what it does? It keeps me in balance. It at least helps me to ask questions as to whether or not what I'm doing is right. Should I rethink what I'm doing? I need to read scripture myself and take it into account. I need to understand these things. So I love being challenged. It doesn't hurt my feelings a bit. But people are using this scripture and it's a wonderful scripture. Matter of fact, we've talked about this and discussed this. We are not anarchists as Christians. We're not revolutionaries that are trying to overthrow the government. Even during Paul's time in the Roman government, when Jesus was, was on the scene, they wanted him to overthrow the Roman government. And he said, that's not what I'm here for. My kingdom is not of this world. So we're not revolutionaries. We're not anarchists. We're not trying to overthrow the government. That is not our goal. But there's an issue when government begins to do what it is not called to do. See, God has designed government and ordained government and authorities to restrain evil in this world. But when government ceases to restrain evil and begins restraining good, it starts to forfeit its divine God-given authority and it yields that up. 
So God would never say, hey, yield to the government even when they go against what I say. He would never say that. Matter of fact, he would say the opposite. And so we have to understand when we're talking about submitting to government, at what point? Because, because here's the thing, I mean, I mean, we could get into all kinds of arguments this morning. I could give you my opinions on masks. I could give you my opinions on vaccines. I could give you my opinions on COVID. And you know where that would go, take us as far as advancing the gospel goes? Absolutely nowhere. Matter of fact, we would regress. Because we cannot get entangled with the affairs of this life. People say, well, you know, you're a pastor. It's your job. You need to get up and speak about those matters. No, the matters that I have to speak about are the Word of God. The matters that I have to speak about are the Word of God. I don't know anything about a vaccine. All I know, I, because here's the thing. I read articles this week. I love reading articles. I read medical journals, and I kid you not, every week when I read articles, medical journals, what I will read in today's world is I'll read one that says one thing, and then I will turn around and read another one, both of them peer-reviewed, and they will say the exact opposite thing. My, 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 what I'm arguing here is that I don't, at the end of the day, know what is true because nobody else does. What is true, the only thing that we can stand on in this hour is the Word of God. We're not to act crazy. We're not to be rude. If you want to get the vaccine, you should get it. If you don't, you should. I mean, I like that's where I'm at on it. That's your choice. I'm not even going to get into that this morning. Amen. Say, thank God, Clay, don't get into it. We're already dealing with enough of that this week. I know that's, that's just the heavy topic right now. But what we see is with all of these things, you know, there's nothing wrong with wearing a mask. There's, no, there's no, all of these little things that are coming in. But what I'm telling you is that no matter what the government is doing, if you read Scripture, behind the scenes there is a force at work behind it that is slowly using manipulation to gain control, even if they use good things to do so. My point being is that the vaccine may be a very good thing. It may be helping people. I, you know, I don't know. That's not my argument here. My argument is, is that evil forces will use whatever they can get their hands on to instill fear and ultimately gain control of your life. Amen. Y'all still with me this morning? And you already say, man, we're praying for Clay this morning. He's about to dig into it. The problem is that when government ceases to function by God's design, it yields up its authority. The man who wrote Romans 13, need I remind you, is a man named Apostle Paul who was in violation of the government more times than anyone in the entire New Testament. He was beaten by government several times. Five times he received 39 stripes by whom? The government. He was beaten with rods, which was when they lay your legs out over a base and beat your legs with a metal rod so that you couldn't walk. Who I? The government. He was stoned once. By whom? The government. Jesus Christ was crucified by whom? Ultimately, the government. So who is it that is working behind the scenes to begin to control government and use government for their means? We'll dive into this a little bit more. But in 1 Peter 2, he says something very interesting too because we know that Peter was executed ultimately by the government. The Roman government had him crucified upside down. But in 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14, it says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, 
as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. He says, you're to submit to government for the Lord's sake. At the end of the day, what he's saying is, we're, again, we're not revolutionaries, we're not anarchists. When laws are in place, they're ultimately in place to restrain evil. But the problem in our day and age is that now our laws are beginning to contradict what the Word of God says, and we're moving further and further away from what God's law says. So what happens whenever government begins to do this? We've got to understand that our government is continuing to design a culture that protects the immoral and criminals and makes those who do good afraid. You say, well, that's not a reality, Clay. Last year, y'all, I don't know if you realize this or not, but there were pastors that were jailed for preaching the gospel during COVID, yet there were looters and rioters that were allowed to run free. And criminals were not afraid of being arrested last year while police officers were afraid for restraining any type of evil. He said, well, you're getting into political stuff now, Clay. That ain't right. I'm telling you right now, folks, if you don't get out of the political stuff and get into the Word of God, you will slowly become brainwashed. They are slowly indoctrinating and teaching you through social media and various platforms. And I'm telling you, you need the Word of God to keep you in a frame of mind that does not get caught up and entangled with the affairs of this life. Because almost every political agenda, right or left, whatever it may be, has tied in with it some doctrine and ideology that is the antithesis of the gospel. And so we have to be so careful when we tie ourselves to any political party or agenda because you just don't know where they're going at the end of the day. We're not following Republicans and we're not following Democrats. We're following the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God into the new heaven and the new earth. Amen. And I got to tell you something. I know y'all are probably 98% Republicans, but Republicans ain't going to fix this thing. They ain't going to do it. Well, we get Trump back in in 2024, he'll take this care of this thing. <laughs> I bet you wish. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There's something bigger than Donald Trump at work, folks. And this is what the Scripture teaches, and I'm just going to work through it very slowly, but we're living in a world that is honestly a lot like 1984. I don't know if you've read the book by George Orwell, but he wrote a book called 1984. I used to teach it down at OBI. And we read it, I read it like six times a year, okay? But in, the, in, in, in 1984, he wrote it in 1948, and he was, he was basically, he was playing on Stalinist Russia, and he was playing on Hitler's Nazi Germany. And he was basically revealing what was happening, and, and, and he said, if, if things are to continue this way, here is the dystopian society that we're ultimately looking at. And he lived in a world where you saw TV screens everywhere, screens in 1948, he wrote this, screens everywhere that were basically tracking where you go, what you say, what you do, everything about you, and controlling your behavior. And they had something called the Ministry of Truth where they would use entertainment, they would use media, and all sorts of different things in order to indoctrinate you to say certain things and anything that you said that went against their propaganda and their party politics, they would ultimately censor or make you disappear. And it's a telling sign because here's the thing. Right now, we, we have been so pampered in America in the last 30, 40 years that we have no idea that these things have even happened in history. And what we've come to believe is that, you know what? Government's pretty good. America wants what's best for us. Can I tell you that even these vaccine makers, even if the vaccine works, do you know that they probably don't care whether you live or die? They're not altruistic people. I got off the phone with one of my buddies from Uganda the other day, okay? 
And he, he tells me that right now they're pushing the vaccine in Uganda, but they're refusing to take it because they're giving them a vaccine that was rejected by the United States. Do you think that they're incapable of giving them that vaccine? No, they can give it to them. They can create it. They can send it to them. The problem is they can't make money off of it for them. Now, anyway, this is neither here nor there. I, I need, I need, Lord, help me. We're getting into it. My point is this. Is the vaccine good? It could be. That's not my argument. My argument is the forces that be that are behind all of the powers according to Scripture are ultimately moving us in a direction that is moving further and further away from God. They do not have your best interest in mind. They cannot have your best interest in mind. They are a government that is set in place that ultimately are full of sin and evil the same way that the whole world is full of sin and evil and they're trying to restrain it when they themselves are sinful and evil. And they cannot do it. They are incapable of doing it. So we have to understand that there's a supernatural reason why these things are happening in their world. And they're not just merely political and social. I'm telling you right now, if you were to replace the, 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 the people in office that you don't care for, it's not really going to change a whole lot at the end of the day because the Bible teaches that there is a mystery of iniquity and lawlessness at work in our world. A mystery of iniquity and lawlessness at work in our world. In 1 John 2, 15 and 17, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Understand this, the world system is the enemy of God. It's the enemy of Scripture, it's the enemy of the gospel, and the enemy of the church. Now the word world, a lot of times, you know, it, it has double meaning in Scripture. The Bible says that God so loved the world. What's that mean? It means that He loved all the people that are in it. But in this particular verse, the word world is the word cosmos. And what it means is it's a complex system of evil, which is the sum total of human life in the ordered world considered apart from, alienated from, and hostile to God, which includes all the earthly things that seduce from God. Amen. And so this thing is at work, and Satan has de designed, essentially, a world system with the lust of the flesh, with the lust of the eyes, with the pride of life, and the entire world system is moving away from God. It's in opposition to God, and it's trying its hardest to entangle you in it. And Satan, so essentially, he's created a system that he, he can just step back and let it entangle you. Yeah. And he don't even necessarily have to mess with you personally because he's already made a system designed to corrupt you to conform you, to pressure you into its mold. And so there's something more than just the world, see, because it says in 1 John 5, 19 that we know that we are of God and the whole world, notice this, the entire world lies under the sway of the wicked one. It's not just that everyone is sin sinful, but it's that there is an evil supernatural power at work behind the scenes. You say, you don't, believe, you don't believe me? John 12, 31, Jesus says three times. In John 12, 31, Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world would be cast out. He calls Satan the ruler of this world three times. In John 14, 30, he calls him the ruler of this world. In John 16, 11, Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world. In Ephesians 2, 2, Paul says, you once walked according to the course of this world, 
According to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan. He's the prince of the power of the air. He is the unseen force behind where this world system is going. And he said, because of that, we walked in course with this world because why? He is the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. This spirit is at work in every human being who does not know God and is walking in the opposite direction away from God. And ultimately what he is doing is instilling fear in a world because he knows that at the end of the day, what you fear is what you worship. I was talking to somebody last night and they say, you know, when you talk about end times and you talk about worship, like people aren't going to go into a, a building and lay, raise their hands and sing songs to a man, are they? They're not going to do that. But no, whenever they were giving obeisance to a world leader like Adolf Hitler, that was a form of worship. They paid their homage to him. They had their fear toward him. They believed him above all other things. That's a form of worship. And in Luke 4, 5, and 6, when Satan takes Jesus to tempt him, notice what he says. It says, The devil takes him upon a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, notice this, for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. You say, well, I thought God was in control of, of, of who's in, in power and he set up people and all these things. And let me tell you something, God is in control. He is sovereign over all things. But do you understand that ultimately God has given this world over to humanity and he has lifted his hand on it. If we choose to reject God, God says, go ahead, fellas. And Satan says, all right, I've gained control because Adam handed it over to me and this entire nation is rejecting me, so I will lift my hand. If they want a ruler like that, I will give it to them. And he gives it to them and Satan puts his man in place. He says, all these are under my power. All these are under my control. And he knows that ultimately if he's going to do what he wants to do, he's got to get control of the kingdoms and the government. So you have Satan who is the world ruler who has constructed a system designed to oppose God and God's ways and it is the spirit that now operates in the people. And Satan is working in humanity in the world through entertainment, through education, through government, through arts and media. I mean everything, everywhere you go right now, you turn on Netflix, they got an agenda. You turn on Instagram, they got an agenda. If I go on YouTube, they have an agenda. There is an indoctrination that is being pushed. And right now, if you are a Christian and you say anything remotely close to what I'm saying, you're just considered insane. I will gladly be considered insane for Christ's sake. Amen. Because you got people right now, I, I've heard stories from teachers right now, where children that are 10 years old are saying that they're non-binary. When I was 10 years old, I didn't know there was a word binary. How is it that kids are even learning these things? How is it that these things are even available? Because you have a government and a system and Satan behind it that is indoctrinating our kids, folks. And you've got to come to a place where you don't just say, oh, well, that's just conspiracy theories. It's reality. It's reality. And you have to decide as a Christian, as a leader in your home, as a leader of a church, as a leader wherever you're at, are you going to stand for that truth or will you slowly just be conformed and pressured by it? Because what the world does, Satan doesn't do anything quickly. He eases you into it. See, what he wants to do, he's going to throw as much out at you as he can to see just if you'll give a little bit. One of them old-time Puritans said, don't give, don't give the devil an inch or he'll take an ale. Right? If you give him just a little bit, he'll take as much as he possibly can. 
And so he's easing us into this just to see how much we'll compromise, how much we'll go with. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the scripture says that he is the God of this world who blinds minds. Ephesians 6, 12 says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. My fight ain't against Joe Biden. My fight is against the power behind Joe Biden. Amen. I'm praying for Joe Biden. You imagine that man get saved right up here in the office, get filled with the Holy Spirit, publicly repent on television, Oval Office. I'm for it. Amen. Amen. I am for it. <laughs> They'd probably kill him after that. But. And I tell you what, Facebook going to cut this message off. I'm sorry for those listening online. <laughs> See, this is not just a human complex of evil. It's not just about replacing a political party or putting somebody in office that's going to fix things. It's behind all of that. You have the entire forces of darkness working a mystery of iniquity and lawlessness as, that is at work that has the entire world under its sway, slowly moving us in a particular direction. And it all started in the Garden of Eden, didn't it? It was when, when Satan tempted us and said, hey, you can be like God, knowing good and evil. You can be God for yourself. You can decide what is good and evil. And right now our government is doing exactly that. They are changing what is good and what is evil. They're calling good evil and evil good. And when they do that, see, they no longer have the authority that God is giving them and they're functioning under that authority. And there comes a time when if you do what the government says, you will be going against God. I'm not saying we're there yet. And I'm saying that's where we're heading. Man, this is encouraging this morning, isn't it? Everybody's excited. 1 Peter 5, 8, what's Satan's objective? It says, your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Scripture says he's a killer, he's a liar, he's the father of lies and a murderer. He tempts, he lies, he seduces, he slanders, he distracts. That's what he's doing right now. He's distracting everybody from what they need to be focused on. He divides. Have you ever seen more division in this nation than what we are living in right now? I've never seen it in my life, even among churches. He destroys, he sifts, he strategizes, he steals, he oppresses, he possesses, he blinds, and he kills according to Scripture. Revelation 12, 9 says he's the serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Notice what he does. He deceives the whole world. You know, Donald Sims, he always said the thing about deception is it's deceiving. It doesn't come in a package that says, hey, this is Satan, can't you see it? It comes in a package of love. It comes in a package of safety. It comes in a package of peace, of inclusivity. It comes in a package of kindness. It comes in a package of goodness. It comes in all of these nicely bound up packages, which is why in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14, it says, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. When Satan comes to you, he does not come blatantly. And he never blames it on himself. Amen. He blames it on God. He's very deceptive. He's more cunning than any beast of the field. As soon as God lists him in Genesis 3, the serpent, more cunning than any beast of the field. But see, his ultimate goal is to prevent people from coming to Christ. Period. Our greatest goal of the church is to get people to Christ. That they would believe in Jesus, that they would experience salvation, and that they would become disciples of Jesus Christ and share the gospel with whoever they have the opportunity to do so in what time that we have left. But see, his ultimate goal 
is to lead people away from Christ and to rule in the place of God and be worshipped. And he's heading human history toward establishing his kingdom on earth. Ultimately, what his goal is, is to coalesce all the world governments in one and to put a man in place that ultimately this world will bow down and worship. And I know in your mind you think, man, that just sounds weird. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Just wait back and see. Just wait back and see what happens. This is what Scripture tells. And as far as we know, up to this point, Scripture ain't got nothing wrong. And I'm betting that it doesn't get anything else wrong. In Revelation 13, John saw a vision of a monster coming up out of the sea who consolidates power and national leadership. Here's what it says in Revelation 13, 1. He said, Then I stood on the sand of the sea. And the sea symbolizes, see, the nations set on many waters. So when you talk about the sea, basically you're just talking about global reach, global span. He said, He's rising up out of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. What Satan is doing is he is creating a trinity in mockery of God. You have the Father, you have the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and what Satan is creating is a trinity where he essentially is God. He has the Antichrist who is the Son, so to speak, and then you have the false prophet in place of the Holy Spirit. He is creating an unholy trinity where he is, the beast is this Antichrist that takes power in the end, and he is the final one who consolidates all world power, and this is what globalism is. I was reading an article by a secularist, not a Christian recently, about globalism. And they talked about how for years now, people have been in power and wanting this global agenda to succeed because they think it's a good thing. But one of the things that's taking place is that they are stripping jobs from as many low-level farmers as they possibly can. Why? Because they want government corporations to run every food industry throughout the world. If they control the food... They control you. That's globalism. Globalism is when we can have control of everything on every scale and ultimately you don't have the power to take care of yourself. You have to rely on the government. Amen. Revelation 13, 2 says, The dragon gave him his, poor, his power, his throne, and his great authority. The dragon is Satan. The beast is the Antichrist. And it says that the world is amazed by the beast. And as a result of his influence, the scripture says that the world will worship the beast and the dragon. In Revelation 13, 7 and 8, it says it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. That means that he wants to make war with those who profess the name of Jesus Christ. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth, it says, will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I don't know about you, but I want my name, and I believe my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, this is why Jesus said, you remember when his disciples, he sent them out, he said, and here's the thing, we still got ministry to do, y'all. We can't hole up in a house when people need to be saved and need to experience the gospel. And if you are holed up in the house, call somebody on the phone and share the gospel with them. Amen. Because I'm not against people being safe and I'm not against people being protected. I, under, I believe more than anybody that this virus is real. People are sick. People are experiencing death. We need to pray for these people. It is a sad time. But I'm telling you, we are moving in a, in a direction that this thing will pass and maybe another thing will come. 
You can't just sit back on your laurels and say, well, it's going to be okay, everything's going to be fine, we're going to get through this, everything's going to go back to normal. What I'm telling you is that there are forces at work that we must prepare ourselves for, that if it's not this, ultimately it's going to be some other pressure that is moving on us, trying to shape us and conform us to no longer preach the gospel. And that's where we're moving. And he says, he makes war with the saints to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tribe, tongue, and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It goes on to say in verse 16 and 17, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name, which is 666. Now, everybody's got an opinion now. Like, you can go to YouTube and look up the mark of the beast, and everybody's got an opinion, you know, on what that is and what it's going to be like. And when John wrote this, he was writing apocalyptic literature to his time, in his day and age. Nero was the emperor of Rome at the particular time when John wrote this. And if you did gematria, which was the way that they counted up people's names, Nero Caesar's name added up to 666. So what John was saying is that ultimately Nero was an antichrist. In 1 John he said many antichrists have gone into the world. But see what scripture says is that we're continuing to see many antichrists rise up over history that are in opposition to God, opposition to the saints. And throughout history these government leaders have murdered the saints, persecuted the saints. We have lived as Christians in America in one of the most peaceful times in church history. We have experienced very little in comparison to what the church has experienced historical. We have been blessed. Amen. But what he is arguing is that ultimately this is going to culminate in one end time world leader who is going to coalesce all governments and all control and he will gain entire economic control. And he will cause you to take something. I don't know what it is, but what it is allows you to buy, sell, and trade. And if you don't have it, you cannot buy, sell, and trade. Can you imagine that pressure that comes upon the world? And that's a very fearful thing, isn't it? Because you, you can sit back and you can think about these things and say, oh my gosh, man, the fear. Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Can I tell you this? you got God on your side. If God be for us, who can be against us? My point is, is that Jesus already prepared us for these things and He promised to never leave us, never forsake us. We have those saints who have went on before us to show us what it means to remain faithful to God in times of suffering, in hardships. And I'm telling you, there is a joy, there is a peace, there is a supernatural provision available for those who will remain faithful to God and will not bow down to the pressure. There just is. And you say, but Clay, I just wish, you know, as a pastor, I mean, nobody else is preaching this stuff. Why don't you just get up and say something that's going to encourage us, man, because the world's already hard enough. I'm telling you, I would rather you be prepared than encouraged. I really would. I'd rather you be prepared than encouraged. I want you to pray about this. You need to get with God. You need to understand and discern the things that are coming upon the world and not just be duped for every, everything that gets offered you. They're going to offer you all kinds of things, and it is a slow movement into getting you to think a different way so that you will swallow any spoon they give you. And we're not going to take that. We're not going to take unless what God says is behind it. So they're moving toward this. In Revelation 17, I know I've got a lot of scripture. Y'all good with me? Y'all ain't read the book of Revelation in a long time anyway. 
Revelation 17, 1 through 2, it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sets on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. See, this is called the great harlot because what he says is once he sets up his kingdom and establishes a one world government, so to speak, he actually has a religion that will, that will sort of coalesce and merge all religions together. And you see this happening more and more together now. They're bumper stickers. People have coexist bumper stickers on the back of their car. And I get the sentiment behind it. We want to not fight. We don't want to war with one another. And see, as Christians, our goal is never to be at war with other religions. We love all people regardless of what religion they're from. But we do believe that as Christians, Jesus Christ is the way. He is the truth and He is the life. And that no one comes to the true God unless they come through Jesus Christ. That's what we believe. That's non-negotiable. So we can't bow down to the harlot, which is the harlot is going to say, no, 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 no. Jesus was a good man, but ultimately He is right in there with Muhammad and everybody's bringing us all to the same God. That is false harlotry type of doctrine according to the book of Revelation. Amen. And so you have to be discerning of these things because it's going to come very simply to the point where you just begin to say, well, you know what? It's really not that big of a deal. We really do at the end of the day worship the same God. No, we do not. We worship Jesus Christ. We worship the God of Scripture. And so you have this movement toward this, this prostitution of true religion, and it's going to carry many apostate doctrines that are pushed and adopted by this world system that stand in blatant opposition to God's Word and God's design. And right now you see the pressure. Even in our school systems, we're having to allow people to say that they're a boy when they're actually a girl. And I know that, like, that is so unpolitically correct right now that even when I say it, there's like a pressure on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh my gosh, why would he say that? I mean, he... You know, what the church should do is just remain quiet about things like that. They should just, we should not mistreat anybody. If somebody's dealing with something like that, I think we need to counsel them. We need to love them. We need to talk to them about what they're going through. That's, it's not our role to be angry about it. It's not our role to be, but I'm telling you right now, people are just slowly adopting it and never saying, no, here's the real truth. If someone, it, I, what I wanted when I was young was somebody to tell me the truth. I was in sin and I was looking for help and nobody would tell me the truth. Son, that's sin. You got to turn from that. Jesus Christ is the answer. He will set you free from it. That's what I needed, but everybody was afraid. Are we afraid? Are we afraid to tell people what God's design is? How He's designed for you to live in human flourishing? So that you can repent, you can be saved, you can come to the knowledge of the truth and be set free. Man, we want to see people set free from this stuff. These are, these are doctrines of demons that are infiltrating people's minds and becoming stronger and stronger in our world. He said in Revelation 17, 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. See, there's persecution that comes more and more on the saints. And you see this more and more right now because, because in certain countries, thank God not in America yet, I hope, my prayer is that me and you and our children's children, we, we end up making it through. Like, we don't have to worry about it. Amen. That's what I'm hoping. That's my prayer. 
But what you see in the world right now, in other nations other than America, and it seems to become becoming in different ways, there's, there's pressure from media and there's pressure from Facebook and all of these different things to begin to try to slowly just control your thinking and what you're allowed to say. There's certain things you're allowed to say, certain things you're not. In certain countries, including Canada right now, it is a hate crime to read certain scriptures publicly. Amen. So how, far, how long before it's just a hate crime to read the Bible in general? You give a little bit, how far, how far are we willing to go with it? You say, well, how does it all end, Clay? What's going to happen to us? In Revelation 18, 23, I like this. It says, the light of a, of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. This is Satan's kingdom. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. You know that word sorcery right there is actually the Greek word. And I'm not trying to imply anything. I'm just giving you facts. The Greek word sorcery there is actually pharmakia. It's a word we get pharmaceuticals from. For by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. Now, he says, this is where Satan is going, right? It says in Revelation 17, 14, These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with Him are called chosen and faithful. See, this is where Satan is going. He has many strategies, but he has one goal, and he is unifying the world against God. That's his goal. That's what he wants to do. But see, Jesus Christ has called us to be a church that's strong, that stands up in the face of all this. Satan knows that in order to persecute the saints, he has to gain full control of government. Anytime he has persecuted the saints throughout history, it wasn't a pack of random atheists that got angry and went and murdered a bunch of Christians. It was always government powers that brought persecution to the saints. In Isaiah 14, this is so interesting because he's bringing judgment on the king of Babylon, but then he begins to talk about something that is behind the king of Babylon. Notice what he says in verses 12 and 14. He says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? He's talking about the king of Babylon, but then he calls the king of Babylon, O Lucifer, son of the morning, fallen from heaven. Why? He's trying to point out the fact that Satan was the one behind the king of Babylon operating. Satan seeks power to get behind those who are in government power. He says, how, how are you cut to the ground? You did weaken the nations. For you've said in your heart, I will send into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So Isaiah shows us that it is Satan himself who is energizing and controlling the king of Babylon. He talks again in Ezekiel. Notice this, chapter 28. He says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Was king, the king of Tyre in Eden, in the garden of God? He was not. Who was in Eden, in the garden of God? Satan was. He's pointing out that Satan was ultimately the power that took control of both the king of Babylon and the king of Tyre and influenced them to do what they did. He opens this up. He's trying to point out that there are evil forces that are at work behind this, and that's what we have to understand, that we're living in a world 
that Satan is slowly moving people closer and closer to this. He does his greatest work against the people of God by using political leaders. That's, the all, that's always the way that he's done it. In, in the book of Exodus, we see that he used the political leader Pharaoh to persecute the people. And what set them free? It was the blood of the lamb applied to a doorpost that set them free from that oppression of Satan. Amen. The same way that he sets us free from that oppression. We don't, just like Jeremy said this morning, we don't have to live in bondage, folks. We don't have to live in fear. I'm telling you, there is a peace, there is a joy that comes from serving Christ when you know that all of the armies of heaven have your back, that no matter what Satan this world throws against you, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony and because we did not love our lives unto the death. That means that, you know what, at the end of the day, here's the thing. You say, well, Clay, you're crazy for talking about this. We live in America. This stuff is not even happening right now. We don't even have persecution. If I read the Bible and I pray and I'm a discerning man, I must realize that Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, has prepared me to give my life for the sake of the gospel if I must. Do I want to? No, not really. I'd like to live to about 87 with my friends and family all around me just kind of looking at me. And then just lean my head over. <laughs> but you know what? That may not happen. It may not happen. I may be called. I may get arrested one day for saying some of the things that I'm saying. I'm really not a wild guy. I'm not a sensationalist. I usually don't speak on issues like this. But I sense something in my spirit right now that says, you know what? There's so much pressure coming upon the earth. And for the most part, Christians are asleep. They'll believe anything, face, anything that Facebook tells them right now. Facebook, I was talking to a guy earlier. He said, you know what? If Facebook were to fact check the Bible, Christians would probably believe it. It's going to be a matter of time for you post a scripture on Facebook and they're going to fact check it. Amen. When they left Egypt, he worked through the Canaanites, the Philistines, the Assyrians, and Babylon. And in the New Testament... Satan worked through the official leaders of Israel and the Roman Empire, destroying the people of God, and it's always been a government enterprise each time. You remember in the book of Daniel, we did a series on Daniel this time last year, actually. Daniel interpreted a dream for the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, who was currently under... This is what's crazy, because Nebuchadnezzar, we know according to Scripture, was under the influence of Satan. But he was converted because Daniel stood up to him. In the midst of the darkness when he was bringing oppressive, dominating control. He interpreted a dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar said, oh, Daniel, man, we're going to worship your God. Your God's truly the God of gods. And just about one year later, he forgot all about it. He set up a golden image of himself. He said, if you don't bow down whenever we play the music and worship this God, we're going to throw you in the burning, fiery furnace. And the three Hebrew children, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, walked up to the king. And he said, I hear y'all ain't bowing down and worshiping right now. This is government edict. Well, somebody would have said, they better obey Romans 13. They better submit to the government. Bow down and worship that golden image, brother. That's what the Bible says. You know what they said? They said, buddy, we don't know whether God will deliver us from this fiery furnace or not. That's really not of no issue because whether he does or not, we are not bowing down and worshiping that image when the music plays. And right now, Satan is playing music over our nation, trying to get us to bow down slowly but surely, trying to get us to bow down, to give in, to tuck tail, to not be bold, to not speak the truth, to be afraid because, oh, it's, uh, it's not politically correct. Amen. I see some, some of y'all, y'all looking around at other people. How's everybody else responding to this? 
The pressure is coming, y'all. It's here. He sets up the golden image. They said, we're, we're, we're going to instead choose the duty of disobedience. Sometimes there's a duty to disobey. When it serves the government well, they may tolerate the people of God for a while. They tolerated Daniel as long as he was doing good. But when it came right down to it, you remember Daniel even in himself. They said, you know what? Nobody's allowed to pray except they pray to the king here or they're going to be thrown in the lines then. Daniel said, go ahead, make a, make a government edict. I'm breaking the law. I went a boat. He opened his window up. He prayed to the Lord. They threw him in the den of lions. What happened? The angel came and shut the lion's mouth the same way that he did for the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. A fourth man in the fire showed up and both times the kings bowed down and they changed their mind and they were set free from the power of Satan to say, that's the true God. And here's what I want you to understand. That if you bow down, you will give your life over and you will move away from God. But if you stand up, you will turn many people to the one true God. And that's the test that's going to come in our generation. In my lifetime, in your lifetime, we will be pressured to the degree where we will say you're either going to bow down and give in to us. And if we stand, we may end up even giving our lives. But I'm telling you right now, we will lead people to Jesus. And in the end, we've got an eternal kingdom. You cut my life short here, all you're doing is doing me a favor, I'm going to meet Jesus. And that's the mindset that we have to have. In the last year, here's some stats that I have, but in the last year, there have been over 340 million Christians living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. 4,761 Christians killed for their faith just last year. But the number one reason listed by the World Watch reporting that 340 million Christians are currently under persecution is this. Authoritarian governments who view Christianity as a threat to power. And do you know this? That really in authoritarian governments, do you, do you realize that Christianity is flourishing right now? Not where it's the most free. Christianity is not flourishing in America. Christianity is flourishing in China and in Iran where it's not legal to be a Christian. How is that? Because that's when the rubber meets the road. That's when you find out whether or not you're really willing to go after it or not. And we're talking about, well, we might make it to church one Sunday a month. Amen. I smiled on that one just so you feel it. Might be able to make it. In Acts chapter 4, the Jewish leaders said to the apostles, stop preaching. In Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar said, stop worshiping. And in Daniel chapter 6, the ruler said, stop praying. But God's people do not stop because the only authority we bow down to is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He has given us a commandment to worship. He's given us a commandment to pray. He's given us a commandment to preach the gospel to all the world if everybody else gets mad about it. Amen. Now, I'm working through this slowly. I'm, I'm finishing up by going, I'm going to read you a bunch of quotes. Is that okay? Because I need somebody else to help me preach this this morning. I feel a lot of pressure from it. I need somebody else to help me preach this. Doug Wilson said this about Peter, because when Peter wrote first, when he wrote in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, he talked about submitting to the government. Here's what Doug Wilson said. He said, the man who told us to submit to the government was soon to be executed by the magistrate as someone who was a grave threat to the civil order. This was the same man who was broken out of jail by an angel. Notice that. You get jailed by the government and an angel breaks you out. 
That angel broke the law. <laughs> who disappeared from the books of, book of Acts as a wanted man. The guards who lost him were executed because of his disappearance. This was a man who was in jail in the first place because he was a leader of Christians and had earlier told the Sanhedrin that he would not quit preaching no matter what they said. And he was the man who was writing this letter to prepare law-abiding Christians for the time of persecution that was coming in which time they would be accused of being rebellious. So whatever his words in chapter 2 mean, they had to be consistent with the life of the man who wrote them. You submit when the government functions in the way that God designed it. Acts 4, 18 and 19 Peter and John had been preaching the gospel and they actually by the power of God were able to heal a lame man and he raised up and he walked and he celebrated and was jumping around and everybody was wilding out about it because the man got healed and they come and said, by, in the power of whose name have you done this? Well, they just took the opportunity. They preached Jesus to those dudes. They didn't hold back. They knew they'd probably get killed for it. They didn't care. And so it says in Acts 4, 18 and 19, it says, So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. This was the government. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. Who are we going to listen to in the end? I'm not, I'm not talking about, look, we ain't talking about masks and vaccines, y'all. What I'm telling you is, when, what we're sensing now is the pressure that comes with what will happen in the future. Does this make sense? So don't, don't think that I'm telling you to just go out here and resist everything that goes. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about health. I'm not talking about your safety. I'm not talking about you going. And that's None of that is my issue. My issue is the pressure that government... Because here's the thing. Even if vaccines are a very good thing, the government will use them for evil. You understand that? They will use them to get power, to get control, to get manipulation because they want more power. They want more control because behind them, as I have pointed out in Scripture, is the evil one. Amen. So we've been blessed, but you see all these agendas coming. Let me read just a few more because you talk about Romans 13. Tim Cantrell says this. He said, in July 1933, during Hitler's first summer in power, a young German pastor named Joachim Hassenfelder preached a sermon in the towering Kaiser Wilhelm Memorial Church, Berlin's most important church. He used the words of Romans 13 to remind worshipers of the importance of obedience to those in authority. The church was all decked out with Nazi banners, its pews packed with the Nazi faithful and soldiers in uniform. Earlier that same year, Friedrich Debelius, a German bishop and one of the highest Protestant officials in the country, had also preached on Romans 13 to justify all the Nazi seizures of power and brutal policies and misquoting Martin Luther himself about the supposed paramount powers of state authority. Three days after this sermon, the German parliament dissolved and Hitler took over. Within a few years, six million Jews had been slaughtered and the world devastated by World War II. What you saw in Nazi Germany and Stalinist Russia was not that there weren't churches on every corner. There were churches on every corner and they were packed to the brim. It's just that the preachers were no longer preaching the gospel. They were saying you need to submit to your government leaders no matter what they say. And they had a big picture of them sitting on the back. And I'm telling you, throughout history, you find that over and over again, the government has challenged the church to see whether it was going to be real or not. And you wait and see, in our day and age, there's still going to be many, 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 many churches 
It's just that they're not going to preach the true gospel. Amen. Lord, have mercy. We're cut down on our attendance this week. Throughout history, people have lived under the divine right of kings. And the reformers broke that. But throughout history, see, under the divine right of kings, they believed that if a king was in power, well, see, he had God's power. He could do whatever he said. And under that same power is the reason that they murdered so many Christians throughout history. One New Testament commentator said that the misuse of Romans 13 has caused more unhappiness and misery than any other seven verses in the New Testament by the license they have given to tyrants used to justify a host of horrendous abuses of individual human rights. Tim Cantrell, he was really on one. He's a pastor, not in America, he's a pastor in South Africa. And here's what he says in response. He said, but you say Hitler's Holocaust and racist apartheid have nothing to do with responding to a global pandemic, to which the verdict of history answers both the Jews in Germany and blacks in South Africa were viewed as a threat to public health and national security. Trust us, said government tearfully. We truly have your best interests at heart. All we want to do is help to keep you safe. Nothing more we promise. Now here's where Tim Cantrell goes a little bit heavy. This is very politically incorrect. He said, friends, do you realize by legalizing abortion, world governments kill more unborn babies in one year than all the lives COVID-19 would kill in 100 years at the current rate, always in the name of women's health and reproductive health. Already by mid-January 2021, over 2 million babies have been murdered by these wonderful, loving governments that are so concerned about human safety and public health, not to mention countries like here in South Africa where violent crime is still rampant and out of control, yet suddenly our authorities have an incredible zeal about protecting you and me. You say, well, that guy's just living in today's world. Let's talk about William Pitt, who's now dead. He was, back in the day, he was the prime minister of UK friend of William Wilberforce, he said necessity, for example, public health or common good, like we need this, we need public health, we need the common good. He said it's the plea of every infringement of human freedom. It is the argument of tyrants. It is the creed of slaves. Get people afraid and they'll do whatever you want. A fearful society will always comply. Panicking people will believe anything. And this dude was in power. He knew what you needed to keep people under control. You needed fear. During the gruesome and bloody days, here's Tim Cantrell again, of the French Revolution, when 40,000 innocent citizens lost their heads simply because a neighbor snitched on them, who was it that operated the guillotine day and night? It was run by the Committee for Public Safety. Hey Amen, I thought I might get a laugh out of that, but it... It's pretty terrible, isn't it? David DeBreen says, Governments now get voted into power by promising to oversee housing, education, medicine, the economy, a good currency, a minimum income, food, water, land, and the list goes on. The government becomes a parent and the citizens are dependents. The government in this role becomes a monstrous juggernaut of bureaucracy, devouring taxes and trying to regulate every detail of life and it really is only a matter of time before the government tries to regulate the church. I've got a few more. You guys still with me? You hanging in? Doing just a little history study. 
Won't be long before they outlaw history in our schools. R.B. Kuyper, he said, our age is one of ecclesiastical pacifism. When a church ceases to be militant, it also ceases to be a church of Jesus Christ. A truly militant church stands opposed to the world both without its walls and within. Time and again in its history, the church has found it necessary to assert its sovereignty over against usurpations by the state. In many lands, the church finds itself utterly at the mercy of the state whose mercy often proves cruelty, while in others the notion is rapidly gaining ground that the church exists and operates by the state's permission. The church does not exist and operate by the state's permission. I don't need permission from my president or my governor to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a command from the Lord Jesus Christ and He is a greater authority than any power that has been voted or elected into office. Francis Schaeffer in the 20th century, he was a, he was a defender of the gospel. And, and in 1973, he was up, very upset over the Roe versus Wade legislation on abortion in 1973. And here's what he wrote. He said, if there's no final place for civil disobedience, then the government has been made autonomous. And as such, it has been put in the place of the living God. And that point is exactly when the early Christians performed their acts of civil disobedience. And when it cost them their lives, even when it cost them their lives. Acts of state which contradict God's law are illegitimate and acts of tyranny. Tyranny is ruling without the sanction of God. To resist tyranny is to honor God. The bottom line is that at a certain point, there is not only the right, but the duty to disobey the state. He's saying when there comes a point that the government goes so far away from God, it is your duty to disobey. You have a duty to disobey. Now, am I getting up here and saying that we need to go out and be anarchists? And say we ain't doing anything that the government says. That's good slow coming in there. I'm just messing with you. G.K. Chesterton said, It is only by believing in God that we can ever criticize the government. Once abolish God and the government becomes the God. Wherever the people do not believe in something beyond the world, they will worship the world. But above all, they will worship the strongest thing in the world. Let me go to that last one. Skip one, go to that last one. I'm going to finish. Charles Spurgeon, he said this about Daniel's brave three friends who would not obey King Nebuchadnezzar, and he made this statement. He said, these boys that disobeyed King Nebuchadnezzar, they might have said, it's only for once and not for long. Ten minutes or so, once in a lifetime, just to please the king. It's such a trivial act, it cannot make any difference. At any rate, it is not enough to brave the fiery furnace for. It would be ridiculous to throw away our lives for such a trifle. In the supreme hour, many fail because the trial is so seemingly small. They mean to stand for God, but this is scarcely the right time. They will wait and choose a more worthy occasion when something really heroic can be attempted. Were they to stand for such a little thing, the world would laugh with derision at such a straining out of a gnat. So Adam eats the apple, Esau the pottage, and the one temptation, unresisted, issues in lifelong loss. Not even for a few minutes in a lifetime 
would these three brave men deny their God. May their stubborn faith be ours. See, you're going to be tested to the point where you just say, this is just a small thing. Because Satan's not going to come to you with something blatant. He's going to come to you with something that says, just, this is just a small thing. You'd be crazy. People are going to say you're crazy and weird if you stand up against this because this is not even that big of a deal. Everybody's doing this. Everybody believes this. But he's saying, no, we need the kind of stubborn faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says. It says, you know what? It may be weird. Maybe it's just for a minute. Maybe this will pass. But I'm not bowing down right now either. I don't care if you think it's a big deal or not. I think it's a big deal. And I will never, never deny my God. Jesus is returning. Let me tell you the good news. Jesus is returning, folks, to establish His kingdom. And He has told us to watch these signs going on in the world. He says that the gospel is going to preach throughout all the nations and then the end shall come. And you and I have the ability and the call and the commandment to carry this gospel however we can to all the nations. And right now we got to do it right here in Manchester, Kentucky and Laurel County. Wherever we find ourselves, we have the commandment. We have the call of God to take the gospel to our friends and family because Jesus is coming back for his church. And when he comes, we know that he is going to vanquish the enemy. He's going to bring every high thing down and He's going to lift up every lowly thing and He is going to establish a kingdom in righteousness and peace and we will rule and reign with Him forever. And He says those who have the hope in these things, He says they're going to be able to endure. And so there's some things that we are going to have to endure, but the book of Revelation talks about two groups of people. One group of people are following the beast into the lake of fire and the other group of people are following the Lamb of God into the new heavens and the new earth. Which one are we going to be? I think we should follow the Lamb of God into the new heavens and the new earth. And as we bow our heads this morning, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to close with Romans 8.31. If God be for us, who can be against us? So Father, right now we pray. We come to you. And God, we worship you. We give you the honor and the glory that you deserve. And Lord God, I know right now this morning that a message like this, it even brings weight on me. Because you said, Lord, that there would be people whose hearts would fail them for fear of the things that are coming upon the earth. But Lord, your word says that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So I pray that this morning, Lord God, you would give us each discernment. You would release that power. You would release your love. And you would give us a sound mind to see things clearly. God, we're not anarchists. We're not here to start a revolution. But we are here to stand for you, Jesus, in these times and stand for the truth of your gospel and of your word. So I speak strength over every individual here this morning. I speak strength and peace, God, and joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. Lord, that we would keep our eyes fixed upon you. God, we trust you to be our protector and our savior in every crisis that we may go through. God, we give you our lives. We give you everything that we are in Jesus' name. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to worship. I want you to take this time to pray. Listen, if you need to give your life to the Lord, if you want to come to this altar and pray, you're welcome to do so. If you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. But let's just take these next few moments just to worship God to center back into his presence. I know that that word that I just gave, it can be weighty, it can be heavy. But let me tell you something, we've got a God who's in control of all things. We know what the outcome is. We've read the end of the book. Ultimately, Satan does not win. The governments of this world do not win. 
Jesus Christ has already won the victory on the cross and we have eternal life to look forward to. In perfect peace where there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. We have this to look forward to. But I'm telling you something. I'm excited about our life right now. I believe God's called us to shake some things up. I believe God has called us to minister to this gospel. And I believe He will back what we do with His power and His presence. Amen. So let's just take a moment to pray. Let's take a moment to worship Him and give Him the glory.